We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we talk about Judaism through the lens of pop culture and pop culture, the context of Jewish ethics, values, and tradition. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And we are starting this new year of 5784 by talking about what has consumed Hollywood for many, many months, uh, the labor strikes going on, specifically the strikes, the WGA and the SAG strikes. And we have special guests to talk to us and our listeners today about the experience of striking. Yes, that's right. We searched far and wide and we happened... (laughs) To find the needles in the haystack in Hollywood of two Jewish individuals, wonderful Jewish individuals, uh, who uh, can join us to talk about uh, their experience uh, and uh, um, uh, with these with these strikes, the longest strikes uh, in in Hollywood history. Um, we're really thrilled to be joined by uh, dear friends. Uh, first, we have uh, writer and actor Jonathan McLean. So good to see you, Jonathan. You. Too. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And friend of the pod, uh, writer Erica Wax. Great to have you with us, Erica. Second time on the show. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back. Hope to be a regular. Fingers yes. crossed. <laughs> so uh, hope to have you as a regular too. And Jonathan, like we said, you're, you're a future uh, friend of the pod. You're a friend of ours, but uh, you're a future friend of the pod. Uh, great to have you both on. And, you know, er- Erica uh, has the uh, designation of uh, having uh, her strike uh, coming to a close uh, just a, days before we're recording, uh, the uh, WGA announced a, 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 a tentative deal uh, with the studios uh, to get the writers back to work. Um, and that seems to be uh, holding and, and and going into effect. Uh, and uh, Jonathan is still on the picket lines with uh, with the Screen Actors Guild. So uh, different uh, experiences that, that both of you are having. Um, Let's uh, let's just start with uh, with with you, Erica, uh, and talking about because the WGA went on strike first back in May. Um, so can you recap for us what some of the um, issues were that led the writers to go on strike in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So there were a few different ones. They fit into a few different buckets. Right. So the first was the question of A.I., Um, which was a really, really big one for writers. AI has gotten so advanced. And um, when writers initially came to studio saying, we're concerned that you're going to have writers um, being replaced by AI or AI is going to write a story and then writers are going to be hired to do a second pass, which obviously would not be as much, they wouldn't make as much for a second pass or a rewrite as they would for an original script. Um, Studios kind of said, We'll have a meeting every year to discuss how good AI has gotten, which was very, very upsetting and and um, ridiculous. Um, but also, this is the first strike that we've had um, within the streaming world, right? And so a show that I worked on, that I talked about on the pod two years ago, Made, um, was, you know, was a Netflix show. And so, but the, the residuals that we were seeing did not reflect how well the show had done. So for instance, Made came out in October of um, 2021 and it was in the top 10 and then had a resurgence literally in June of 2023. It got really popular on TikTok and went back into the Netflix top 10. As a result, the residuals that the writers were seeing were like seven cents more um, when these episodes were being viewed by millions of millions of eyeballs and making, you know, the company a lot of money, Netflix, a lot of money, but the writers weren't actually profiting from that um, or seven cents more. Um, so residuals in the streaming era were, were a really, really big thing. And then 
um, just kind of the future of the industry in general, there was, there was um, worry about mini rooms and room size um, and being able for, you know, basically that a lot of studios had gotten away with pre-development or um, pre-green light rooms where they would have writers write the entirety of seasons but not get paid for it properly or um and it it affected not only the writers but also affected lower level writers and support staff like myself where there wasn't as much opportunity to have an apprenticeship to have a ladder of okay I'm going to be a writer's assistant for a season and then I'm going to be able to get staffed on the next season because there were only mini rooms and there were only um, really, really short season orders um, that would basically, it, it cuts off the ecosystem. Um, so just a lot of, a lot of fear about what the future of writing would hold and if it would be replaced by AI. I hope I got all of that. Um, yeah. So those were, those were the main buckets. Um, but Jonathan, please feel free to jump in if you have any other um, notes. <laughs> No, I, th I think that's incredibly right and comprehensive and succinct. And, um, you know, the, the, I did, I came up with one sort of soundbitey thing that seems to resonate, which is regarding the AI point, um, which I threw out at one point and someone was like, that that feels right, um, which is this notion of, you know, automation comes for every sector of the economy eventually, right? In the 60s, the automobile industry was changed by the... Um, automation, uh, robotics, and what it did to the assembly line and that kind of thing. And I said, this is kind of like saying, now we would like to take uh, robots effectively and replace the people who conceive of the car designs. Um, and I felt like, you know, that was sort of summarily the the, the technological component. And, I, and someone else pointed out, well, how do you stay in front of it? I mean, you're already playing catch up now. And my response to that was, that's exactly the point. In terms of, you know, streaming wasn't a conversation, as you noted, Eric, in 2008, the last time we had a strike. Um, the pace of entertainment's evolution is so rapid at this stage in our history that um, we can't anticipate what's coming around the corner. And so the for me, a lot of the negotiation, the deal did just come. I saw the, I'm sure you saw the email last night with the summary, the 94 page like whole deal I didn't read, but I did read the summary points. And um, a lot of what it's been about is putting guardrails in place to anticipate new developments in technology and in entertainment that we can't necessarily see. I mean, for years I've been signing contracts that say, especially as an actor, that say my image can be used in perpetuity throughout the known universe in all media currently in existence or that might ever be. And I have always thought that that is an inequitable path when I am the one signing that away. But in return, the studios have never had to sign anything saying that they will dignify, you know, what some parameters for, for what my deal is as, as technology changes. And that's why we're seeing the diminishment of our residuals and so forth. And, uh, and just basically yeah, everything Erica said is, is spot on. And, um, and we will see what the complementary. I'm assuming that SAG's deal will be complementary to some degree. And maybe this is a way to segue into the next point, which is I am currently continuing to be deeply grateful I think to, to clarify a point too, it's the second longest strike in WGA history. We came just days shy of beating that record, but it is the first time in 60 years since 1968, they both SAG and, um, or 55, whatever that is. It's the first time in a long time that SAG and the WGA uh, have struck at the same time. And, and I'm so deeply grateful that the unions did bond to do that because I don't think that we would be in a place of resolution the way we are now if we hadn't had that unified front. And I am also really hopeful that, and I'm assuming the WGA leadership has been communicating with SAG throughout this process and that no one you know, wound up making a deal without letting anyone else know. My, my guess is that's the case. I don't have, I'm not on the inside of that negotiating, but my hope is that that means that SAG will get something complimentary soon. So those are my additions to that. 
Yeah. I, I, so just a couple of uh, quick things uh, or one quick thing, then, then a follow-up question to you, Jonathan. Um, so I just want our listeners to know that uh, our guests uh, uh, who are both on the West Coast were very gracious to accommodate our uh, East Coast bias uh, and uh, do this recording very early in the morning. So if any math is off, uh, we uh, ask <laughs> our listeners forgiveness uh, because <laughs> I can't do math that early in the morning either. Um, you too, it's you to imply that it has anything to do with time of day, but thank you. <laughs> uh, so, Jonathan, uh, it, can you uh, explain to our listeners what you know uh, the extent to which uh, there are um, differences between what SAG is uh, looking for uh, in in the course of uh, this labor dispute uh, that the WGA was not? Like, what are there? Are you know you, you've explained a lot of the similarities. What are are there any differences? Um, I. <laughs> I mean, certainly, yes, when you get down into the granular components of it, obviously, some of the needs do differ. I would say that, however, what's unique about this is writ large, it feels like a very similar fight. I mean, the way that AI impacts actors is different, um, but it is material and it is real. Um, th there is already, a, a, I think it's a pop star in either Japan or South Korea who doesn't exist. And like a legitimate pop star with millions of followers and listeners who was an AI creation. We are not vastly different in terms of our ability, I think, to create. Um, we could create a movie star in the not too distant future. But in the very short term, you know, background actors were being asked to sign away um, for some pittance of money, uh, the right to be fabricated to have their image grabbed from one appearance. And then you can just populate the background of a motion picture or a TV show with as many different versions of those people as you need. Um, so, you know, it's not the same as writing a script uh, or drafting something that then you bring in a writer to sort of human up, but it, it's actually even more existential when you start to think about it from an actor's perspective, that your physical image can be gathered and, put away and, and taken away and, and given given its own life independent of your DNA. Um, side note, I do a lot of voice work as well. And the AI, uh, the the AI threat on that level is is really substantial. I just read a New York Times piece about an actor, voice actor, who apparently signed a deal with IBM some number of years ago and just discovered that his voice is now showing up in ads for in adverts in the UK for other products and other things that I guess he signed away his right for that to happen when he signed the IBM deal like a decade ago uh, because of this language that they could use it in whatever way they wanted to. And so now that's entering into a legal battle and so forth. Anyway, so so some of those things are very similar. The, the economic component which doesn't get talked about as much because it's not as splashy as the AI thing, I think, but everything Erica was saying about diminishing residuals and the streaming, also the streaming uh, opacity, right? It's a, it's so non-transparent in terms of how many viewers do they really have? How much money is actually being generated? What's that revenue look like? All we know is that they claim quarterly to make record profits while we see our residuals diminish and so forth. So the fundamental core tenets of the of the needs of both unions were the same. Um, you know, I as, as an actor, I can say I, you know, I want better craft services. You know, I hope someone's arguing for for more peanut M&Ms. Like those <laughs> kinds of details, I think, are probably the the unique part. But for the most part, it, it really did it's what what made it so bond such a bonding experience is that we are facing a collective threat to the industry as an industry, not just to components of it. And, um, and I will say too, that in the coming months, IATSE, which is the union. Yeah. I, I, we're looking at each other via zoom. Erica is nodding and I'll let her talk about this, but cause you might be more conversant on it than I am, but their contract is up and they are the union that covers uh, set builders and and things like uh, casting directors a lot of things fall under that umbrella and their contract is up and are, uh, Erica, are you hearing any rumblings that they might be striking as well because i sort of am yeah i'm i'm also hearing rumblings that iatsi will be striking which is so interesting because i was part of iatsi 
two years ago as a script coordinator and we were down to the wire um, about to strike and then they called off the strike. But it's, it's I think the support from these past, you know, from, from the WGA and SAG and everything like there, it wasn't, it was not a splashy uh, to use Jonathan's word. It wasn't, it wasn't a big, as big of a deal or as big of a media deal uh, when these issues were up two years ago, but now with the WGA and SAG, there's kind of this groundswell of support that um, hopefully should extend to IATSE as well. Right. That's um, something that that's something that I think a lot of our uh, listeners and a lot of people who may be sort of uh, casually following the story, uh, you know, may may miss uh, it. You know, the 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 WGA and SAG uh, strikes got a lot of publicity because you know we're all consumers of entertainment, uh, and so we recognize. Uh, on some level that there are people who write that entertainment uh, and that there are people who act in that entertainment. You know, we're all familiar with movie stars, we're all familiar with, you know, big, uh, big name writers. Uh, and so it's, it's very visible when, when something like that happens and what people I think don't always realize is that, um, you know, we're, we're not, uh, these strikes aren't about, uh, you know, old, I mean, they are also about, uh, you know, big name movie stars and big name writers who have, you know, multi-million dollar deals with studios and, and so on and so forth. Um, but, uh, but that's by and large, not, you know, uh, what's at issue here. Um, the, the preponderance of people who are in WGA, the preponderance of people who are in the Screen Actors Guild um, are, you know, are, are, are working class, middle class folks who are, you know, sort of grinding out a, a, a career, um, uh, pursuing passions that they love. Uh, and in many cases, um, the flip side is, um, you know, gigantic media conglomerates um, that are, you know, pulling in, you know, uh, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in some cases uh, a, a year um, on uh, on uh, on the backs of that labor um, that may not be uh, fairly compensated based on deals that are that are negotiated or worked out. Um, uh, you know, in, in a very fast moving environment in which the landscape is constantly changing, right? So Jonathan, you mentioned that the last WGA strike was in 2007, 2008. Um, and already, you know, it's not even 20 years after that, um, you know, that was largely about, if I remember correctly, residuals uh, from uh, the DVD uh, boom that was occurring then. Streaming was really just on the horizon. Um, internet content was already a factor in that too. Uh, but uh, uh, but but no one was really foreseeing uh, how the landscape would change just a few years later by by streaming when 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 that deal was worked out. I you know we, we've talked about this a little bit on on the podcast, Jesse. Se several about episodes about 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 the evolution of streaming. Yeah, exactly. Right. And we, we talk about it sometimes around, you know, that, uh, um, you know, what, what, you know, what religious life, what Jewish communities can learn from, you know, that industry disruption that happened when, you know, when Netflix and, and streaming uh, came on, what we haven't spent as much time talking about is like, what's the cost of that dis disruption um, to the average person? When we, we've talked about also, you know, when we talked about the new Space Jam, right? One of the things that we noted was that Warner Brothers populated the audience of that basketball scene with with, um, with you know, AI generated imagery from uh, from its other existing IP, including the images of actors like Jonathan was saying. We talked about Star Wars uh, repurposing uh, um, actors performances in, in future uh, episodes. Right. And uh, and it's it's conceivable uh, that uh, that, you know, uh, that actors, you know, uh, that uh, um, uh, the you know, the actors in. Uh, a clockwork orange did not envision having their images put in uh space jam legacy uh in you know 2022 when they signed their contracts to be in that movie so um this issue of you know the terms of a contract being sufficient to enable the studios to 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 exploit them uh but it really being a changed circumstance that ought to have required a renegotiation of the terms yeah, and yeah, everything you said is right. I'm sorry, I'm hung up on the idea that I really want to see this clockwork orange space jam mashup. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but, but, well, based on what Mike said, the um, Droogs had courtside seats at uh, at the space jam jam. 
Is a basketball game a jam? We talked about this. Anyway, we talked about that. Okay. My my question is with media and the way we um access media, uh the way we watch television and movies is constantly changing, right? Erica, you mentioned that uh made uh went almost two years later back into the 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 top 10 uh, of Netflix because of 90 second excerpts from shows that that were on TikTok. That that appeared on, on my for you page too on my TikTok account. Um right, my own daughter um only knows about like 15 seconds of hit songs because of, of TikTok um with a constant and I would assume ongoing evolution on how we access content. Um do you think there's a benefit to a a sort of set contract or do these issues need to constantly be renegotiated as um, technology evolves and the way we access media evolves? Totally. I mean, I think the ongoing conversation is, is, you know, having the guardrails that we have now plus ongoing conversation is kind of the, the perfect, the perfect combination of what we're looking for. Um, I don't know if you guys are actually, um, viewers of Black Mirror, but there was an episode that came out right when the strike started. It was so prescient on Netflix called Joan is Awful. And it it was all about um, these exact issues, right? Where um, I don't want to give too much away, but, but there's this scene towards the end of the episode where you just kind of take in the totality of what technology is capable of. And it's frightening and they they make it funny and frightening um but it, it's kind of the biggest warning sign of what happens when there are no guardrails and there's no conversation and people are just expected to um take the deals that they have and run with it um and and how you know if if there's no checks in place if there are no conversations in place then it's going to just spiral out of control faster than we can regulate it because technology is moving so quickly that that we can you know um it's in another three years who knows what the landscape is going to look like is is the thing um so that's that's one piece of it and i highly recommend joan is awful it's a great black mirror episode um at the same time um you know it's it's no one at Warner Brothers, no one at Netflix could have predicted that TikTok would have, you know, created a resurgence for Mate. Like, I don't even know how they got some of the clips. Like, some of the clips don't even have, like, the final sound that we put in post. I, I don't know how they circulated, but, like, none of our, you know, and so that's good and bad, right? The actor should be compensated for those, you know, I don't want to say, I, I don't know how to say appearances or or for that, you know, for that type of work that they're doing there and that's reaching those people via TikTok. Um, but like no marketing strategy, I don't think ever took into account what TikTok would look like, especially two years after a show aired. Um, so there's there's a really wonderful benefit to that, that we got a bunch of new fans um, relatively quickly. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know how those clips, you know, um, originally got on the platform and being able to even regulate that is a necessary conversation going forward. It's, it's, I mean, it is a really difficult conversation, especially when you bring social media into the mix, you, you have all these new, you know, avenues for people to discover uh, your work uh, and also new avenues for your work to be exploited and uh, utilized without fair compensation. You know, what is the liability of a, of a, a platform like TikTok, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, compensating the the studios for their IP, compensate, and then the studios then compensating uh, the, you know, the, those who are involved in the production of that uh, of that content uh, is a really complicated question, right? You have it for Facebook and, and, uh, and, Twitter, X, whatever people are calling it now, Instagram, and and the like as well. There's another dimension of AI too that I think is really uh, worth noting, which is you know not only does AI have the capacity to uh, you know automate uh, and replicate work uh, from you know human writers, human actors, uh, but it also uh, draws from and uh, and and exploits previous work. Uh, from uh, from from artists, writers, actors, uh, without 
usually often without permission, uh, without compensation for that, right? So it's actually a, a, a two-edged sword when it comes to AI. Jesse, you talked about AI uh, on Rosh Hashanah. Is that right? I, I did. Uh, my, my sermon on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, you can find on the Bethel YouTube page. Uh, and one of the things I referenced was actually both the WGA and SAG strikes, that AI uh, was one of the, the issues uh, that led to WGA and SAG members uh, being on the picket lines. Um, my conclusion uh, was that, you know, that which is real and that which is authentic uh, takes hard work. Um, it needs to be genuine. And part of the evolution of chat GPT and all, all these things um, is a uh, it's trying to make our lives easier and trying to make us actually human beings do less. Um, and um, there's a real, as, as both of you mentioned, uh, a real world concern to that, that um, that will put people out of work. Um, but it, it, there, there's a concern from a an arts perspective also is that what we access, the content that we access, uh, will not be authentic, right? Nobody wants to watch a television show or movie that that is, that is written by by a robot, um, right? That, that's there, there's no creativity to that if something is written by an algorithm. Um, and so I think that that is where I came from. That the part of the beauty of all of us being made in God's image is that we each bring our, our own creative selves um, and um, we see the results uh, of our hard work. Um, if ChatGPT is writing a script, I, I joke that ChatGPT wrote the the beginning of my sermon on Rosh Hashanah uh, and um, it, it was, you know, it, it, words that sounded right, but actually was so fake and not real and didn't make any sense. Um, but it was masked in uh, big words and sentences. You know, so some of the other Jewish dimensions of this, I think are worth, uh, uh, you know, mentioning, pointing out. I mean, the first is, I think, the obvious one, which is uh, that, uh, uh, you know, uh, you can't uh, steal a product to then go and sell in the marketplace. And also the consumer has a responsibility not to purchase a stolen good. So that's actually, you know, a, a question that I, that I had, I'm just going to like float it out there while, while I bring up some other points, um, which is, you know, what is the consumer of entertainment's responsibility when it comes to, you know, uh, consuming content on uh, Netflix or Disney plus, or, you know, even going to the movies and, and so on, knowing that, you know, some of these uh, uh, issues were present in, in, uh, in, in the way the studios were operating, right? Uh, Jonathan, you and I were talking about uh, Disney the other day, right? Uh, you know, do I, as a consumer have a responsibility, not, you know, until all the issues with the WGA, with SAG, with, uh, with, with, IOTSE, you know, are are worked out uh, fairly, you know, between those unions and the studios. Do I, as a consumer, have a responsibility not to uh, not to patronize uh, those media conglomerates? It's a really challenging question. Um, but but what it also means is that um, that employers have an obligation, according to Jewish law, uh, to treat their workers with dignity and respect, um, which I think, in the context of this conversation, means you know, giving full uh, uh, full honor to the the level of work the quality of work uh that uh that you know writers and actors uh bring to uh to to their productions and how indispensable they are human writers and human actors are uh to the production of entertainment that we all that we all consume are and to treat them accordingly which includes but is not limited to uh paying them uh a, a fair and ideally a living wage uh, uh, as some people would say, actually, a living wage is not just an ideal, it's a mandatory uh, of an employer and mandatory expectation uh, of an employer. And, and, and with that also an obligation to uh, uh, care for the well-being of their workers, ensure their safety, uh, in, uh, you know, provide for their uh, for their uh, uh, health and, uh, and, and so on. And then, of course, this one is uh, uh, fortunately not quite at issue uh, in, uh, in in Hollywood, although the rise of AI makes it kind of an issue, uh, is uh, is to hire unionized labor, right? If a studio can just use, you know, AI-generated scripts uh, and AI-generated actors, um, then they have a workaround 
to the unions that provide them their labor. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if, if either of you have uh, thoughts about, you know, any of those Jewish principles that are at issue here. Maybe, maybe, yeah, Jonathan, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, yeah, I, yes, is the answer. Um, and, and I guess it's, it's a brief two things relative to what you said, because I think about the ethics of it all a lot. Um, the, the ethical, I don't want to go off on a tangent about late stage capitalism. However, um, the standing in service I'm here for it, let's do it. Right. Let's, let's jump in. Let's mix it up. Uh, the, the standing in service to, um, corporate profit and standing in service to sort of institutional benefit over standing in service to the benefit of the individual and and vis-a-vis -vis that the benefit of the community writ large right um starts to become something that is just casually accepted and to my mind it represents the deterioration of um both the respect for individualism and the respect for community um because the i because these companies don't have an identity i we we say things casually like St. Thomas said casual but we do say things casually like um oh they only care about their shareholders that's a that's that's inaccurate they don't care about their shareholders they care about the numbers on the paper that make the people who are making them more paper or more ones and zeros on a screen. Because let's be honest, like money doesn't actually mean anything anymore. It's now just like a number that appears on my computer screen that's theoretically mine. Uh, and that's what they stand in service to, right? Which, so which, which some of the argument, right, of why the WGA... Um, uh, was able to settle now was because we were about to start a new quarter uh, and and studios uh, needed to look, uh, show their shareholders better numbers for this quarter. That is a thousand percent right. That is a thousand percent right. So, you know, I, look, it's not a Pyrrhic victory. It's an actual victory. That's great. But the prompt for the victory is a little disingenuous. Yes, you're exactly right. It wasn't as though it wasn't as though suddenly... I won't call any of the executives head any of the executives by name, but it wasn't as if the executives were like, "Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, it's it's Yom Kippur. We should atone. We should take a look at all of the." Well, yeah, it wasn't motivated by anything other than, "Uh oh, there's a spreadsheet coming out that shows we lost a bunch of money over the summer." So, so I think yes, from an ethical perspective, I reflect on that a lot. And then to your point, Michael, about should consumers of entertainment stand in solidarity that's a trickier one for me um because i do the stuff i do i make the things i make because i want to yes it satisfies me but also i want to make people happy i want to bring people to look i've gotten criticism of my work over the years and it's never bothered me on a personal level like you don't like me it's bothered me from the perspective of oh that's not why i made it I didn't make it to make you unhappy. I made it to bring you something, to share an experience with you. And so if people are getting value out of the things that they're enjoying, then I don't know. I feel really conflicted about the notion of saying, stop bringing distraction and joy to your life if that's something that you need. I mean, to get really specific about it, I you know, I know all of the problems that go into me owning an iPhone and all of the other things I own, and I still use them. So because of the ways in which they benefit my life, at least theoretically, <laughs> and um, being connected to everyone all the time may or may not be the, anyway, uh, again, another tangent. But but I, I think that that's a more complex question. I think the ethics thing is, for, to me, fairly cut and dry. Like, who are we serving? Why are we doing what we're doing? The When I'm on the receiving end, of something that may or may not uh, be made in an ethical way, yeah, there's a consciousness that I think is required, and 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 then everyone gets to make their own decision. But I, I don't know that I can say full stop. You've got to stop going to Disneyland with your family <laughs> just because um, I got a three cent residual check. You know what I mean? I don't. It gives me the right to say that. I don't. I don't know, Erica. Do you do you have more cogent thoughts on this 
Um, well, those were very cogent, but I, I do want to mention, I heard about the tentative deal being struck while we were in Col Nidre services and I'm a member of ECAR in LA. And then this was reported we, in the news. It was yeah. in the New York times. We got out of services and we were like, why were we in the New York times? <laughs> um, and it was, it was jokingly mentioned as part of the appeal that now writers could give more to the temple. Um, which is hysterical. Um, so I, I don't know. There could be, there, there's like, there's the part of me that enters into Kulni and Yom Kippur thinking, oh, maybe they were trying to atone. I don't think it was. I think it was the the new quarter, but um, there's a very small um, mystic part of me that's like, oh, maybe, maybe there was some, maybe there was some prompting. Um, well, the ledger, the ledger is open for all of us on the high holiday. Exactly, right? exactly. Uh, and, and, and on Yom Kippur, the ledger closes. Uh, that quarter is over, you know, and you're you're going to sink or swim. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and then as it relates to, you know, it's so interesting, as it relates to the consumption of it, I pursued consumption of media thinking you know, there, there's an argument to be made as to demonstrating how important and vital we are to the industry. For instance, I saw the Barbie movie as I think everyone did. Um, and highest grossing movie ever by Warner brothers. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And then the next week I was, I, I was a neutral gate observer, which I can share more about, um, at universal and saw that they had painted the Warner Brothers tower pink for Barbie. And this co-neutral gate observer was like, wow, it would be so nice if they put the money. And obviously this is a small gripe, right? The the water tower at Warner Brothers, but it'd be so great if they put some of that money towards like employing people or, or giving people a fair share. Why did they have to paint that pink when it's already been such a successful movie? And, and, you know, it just kind of felt like a middle finger to a lot of people, that water tower, especially like striking in my area. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it was really complicated. It was really, and, and especially because when SAG went on strike and, and, you know, um, as, as content came out, during the writer strike, I have dear friends who I want to support who just had like her name on the title card, excuse me, um, for the morning show for the first time. And she couldn't post about it because of the strike. And so it's like, you know, we weren't allowed to engage in our own self-promotion, but studios were still allowed to promote, um, was also a really weird thing to grapple with and a, and a small thing, but, but something that I care deeply about that a lot of writers who like were getting their due finally couldn't shout that from the rooftops because of, you know, the, the demands of, um, or, you know, because of the strike and the strike, obviously because of the unreasonable, you know, um, studio studio. So, um, right. You don't was, want, you don't want to come off as a scab, right? And, right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's where I felt strongest, just scrolling social media and knowing that really good friends had worked on content that was coming out during the strike and them not being able to support it and me not, you know, not wondering how to best support them um, while this content was coming out. I have another friend who was on a show that got canceled mid-strike because of, you know, and and the studios could say, well, it's because lack of marketing, lack of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, 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 it's because of you. It's because of you. Um, anyway, that's my ramble about consumption. <laughs> Yeah, well, so you're also what well, you're also uh, you know pointing out uh, both of you uh, in different ways is that um, you know the the onus can't be entirely on the consumer, right? Uh, because uh, you know I'm only able to impact so much by my individual consumption choices anyway, right? Yes, uh, every uh, every consumer like in the aggregate uh, creates a market for particular kinds of uh, goods, but our consumption choices are are kind of blunt instruments about what, you know, telling a, a studio what we're willing to watch or what we're willing to not watch, what we're willing to consume, what we're willing to not consume, right? And, you know, if I decide not to watch Barbie because I don't like the way Warner Brothers is treating uh, its actors and writers, um, that's not necessarily the, 
conclusion that Warner Brothers is going to draw from my decision not to watch Barbie. They might just say, well, you know, white male uh, age 40, you know, doesn't want to watch a, a, you know, pink movie about a doll, right? Uh, I recognize that that's not what, anyway, we had a whole conversation about Barbie. We, we love the movie, um, but, uh, um, but like that may be the conclusion they draw. And so making, you know, a different content to, to service me. Um, and it's, it, it shows the importance of, you know, on the consumption side, um, uh, collective action uh, and uh, and and you know policy change, right? It's it's one one of the reasons it's problematic that uh, that there are really only a handful of major media conglomerates that are producing um, all of this, or you know, responsible for producing all of this content, um, which is that you know it, it diminishes the ability of any you know of any consumer to actually have a say um in in what sort of you know practices in the marketplace they're willing to support but that's in some ways a policy issue um and it also shows the importance of uh unions and organized labor uh uh in in the in this ecosystem uh because um uh, it 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 enables uh the the voice of uh, of of those who are involved in the you know in the production of the goods going to market um a a a, a, a proportional say um uh in in the dynamics that lead to the production of that good that they wouldn't otherwise have they were just individual workers yes yes that's all <laughs> that, that is all yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's exactly all right, and I think that you're you're that that I think more eloquently articulates the point that I was trying to make about individualism and the community and the collective, and and the the notion that um, we all have to at some point sort of uh, take a look at what it is that we want to represent and how we want to um, engage with our fellows, right, and. Um, and and either be apart or stand apart from something. And I, I, it's so funny as you were talking about the uh, taking the wrong message from not watching the Barbie movie. You know that's so that is so exactly right. You you bring up a really key issue, which is I use the iPhone thing a minute ago. It's like if I stop using that and they see, oh, we lost one customer let's make the camera bigger. That's yes. That's their takeaway. Not let's take a look at our business practices is not, is rarely, if ever going to be, um, the, 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 what they walk away with. And as a consequence, I think that making one's voice heard as much as one is capable uh, about the whys and the wherefores of one's actions is as if not more important than the action itself. Um, so, so yeah, I think, everything you said um can i with the couple of minutes i, I have we have left um i'm hoping that each of you can share some uh personal experiences of of what um the, the struggles being on strike has been for you uh, it says that in chapter 24 the book of deuteronomy uh right we're, we're told that you should not oppress the laborer I and mean, we often think of unions in that sense um, but it specifically refers to to the laborer uh, as only vevion, right? Assuming that uh, this laborer, this quote unquote hired help, is somebody who who is impoverished, uh, and some, uh, I would say, it's often right the the, the far right, uh, but some uh, look at these strikes by WGA by SAG as Hollywood elitists, as, as the rich trying to get r richer. Um, uh, would either of you mind sharing your own personal experiences of what this strike has been like uh, to help us understand, right, that um, uh, it, it's all relative and we, 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 you know, at the end of the day, this is just, you know, people like David Zaslav try, trying to, uh, um, is willing to lose lots and lots of money to prevent uh, other people from, you know, sustaining themselves. Um, I would love to speak on this. I was three days into a new room when the strike was called and I immediately, I've been working now as a college essay tutor um, to get by. And I would, um, I mean, I, I say to get by, I'm, I, I, I am really, really lucky that my parents also were willing to support me during this time, which is a privilege that I know not many people have. Um, and, but I've been, I've been college essay tutoring and I would 
you know, during the early days of the strike, I would literally pick it and then come back, shower, change, and then be on, you know, Zoom the rest of the day, helping kids write their like why Cornell essays um, and their English papers and all of that fun stuff. And then in, in later moments of the strike, I would go and I would neutral gate observe um, at the Barham gate at Universal. Um, and then I would come back and tutor and it completely changed how I thought the summer would go. It completely changed, you know, like um, I was, I, I knew when I was hired for the room that I was hired for that we were probably going to strike, but it is so jarring to fill out state start paperwork after you've already been terminated. It's like the weirdest experience that I've ever had um, to, to receive welcome paperwork and, and to fill that out after um, I've been like, let go um, because of the strike. Um, so that was, that was my, those were my experiences. Um, and like, you know, ghostwriting, I also got into, which I had never done before. Um, just truly, I, I would dog sit a lot. I found paid dog sitting gigs. Um, and that's, that was my strike experience. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 it's interesting. I, the, the sense of, I keep talking about community, the sense, because this is a community as well, right? Artists, writers, actors, it's a community and the sense of community out on the picket line felt really strong and really important. And I met lots of people who are like, I got to run, I got to go do my Uber job now or my delivery job now because this hit me really hard and I wasn't expecting it. And I would even go further and say the people that we need to watch out for now that the strike is over, there are people that uh, I know personally who are like, I am relieved and terrified that the strike is over because I wasn't working before the strike. I'm a member of this union and I wasn't, I didn't have a job before, but at least over the summer, I felt like I was a part of something and we were all experiencing this shared experience. And now, uh, you know, the whoever's are going to go back to their jobs and I'm still going to be unemployed, but I'm not going to be alone. And I think that that was, that was really, that hit me really strong when I heard someone say it for the first time. And, um, and I, th I think that as we engage with these kinds of labor battles or these kinds of battles for equity and, and parity and all of the things that <clears throat> it is important to remember that when we get to the end of a fight that we aren't there, um, that these things go on in perpetuity, these conversations, as, as Eric was saying earlier, the conversation, the ongoing conversations are crucial. Um, and, uh, and so my experience of being out there was a really, I've been very lucky. I'm very grateful for my career. I was not striking because I'd be very candid. I was not striking because I am in any way dramatically impacted by this. I'll be fine. I was striking because there is some 15 year old, 13 year old kid out there somewhere who has a dream of making something, doing work that is important that they feel like they want to create. And I feel like in the same way that our progenitors created a, a platform for us to pursue what we do, that it is important that we now pass that along so that there is an opportunity to actually make work. Because to paraphrase the great dead poet society, accounting, medicine, uh, law, whatever, these are important careers and they matter uh, to sustain life. They are very essential. Art, poetry, literature, these are the things that we theoretically, at least ideally, stay alive for, to enjoy. And so we have to find a place to service all of these different things. And so for me, it was a really, it, it, it was a reckoning moment. It was a, it was an ex, it was my own little existential evolution being out on the picket line. It was an important thing sure. for me, the process and my own personal growth. And, uh, and, and I, re I really appreciate that uh, beautiful paraphrase of the Talmudic story about the uh, old man who is uh, planting a carob tree uh, and someone comes along and says, you know, that tree is never going to bear fruit during your lifetime. He says, well, just as uh, my ancestors planted trees for me to enjoy, so too do I plant for the next generation. I'm wondering in the uh, just minute or two that we have left, um, if, uh, if, if 
you guys could uh, just share with our listeners um, from their, you know, for, for them, you know, what would you like them to know or to do differently um, after having listened to this conversation? Erica, you want to start? Sure. I mean, just, um, I would just love for people to understand. I think what, what a lot of this movement was about was, was the human, um, integrity that goes into creating art and, and to not take that art for granted. Um, and there's, you know, I'm into that. You you must've listened to my sermon. (laughs) I, I, yes, exactly. But, but also, you know, there's so much art to be consumed now. And, um, you know, just, just understanding that, uh, you know, engaging with stories is holy and that, um, you know, not to get like super, super, um, uh, very, like very, this is what I wrote to my family about. Um, like I have a Rosh Hashanah email that I send every year and, and I was kind of talking about how communication is holy. Storytelling is holy. Um, and, and how sacred it is and how sacred the relationship between writer or actor to character is, um, and how like just, you know, in, in your decision to watch the content, like you're supporting people's dreams and that, and, and that is a responsibility to be undertaken as you consume. Beautiful. Jonathan, anything to add? I I think that's pretty much perfect. Um, I guess the only other thing I can say is if one, (laughs) I was, it's not funny. I was at, I was at breakfast the other night on Monday evening, obviously, and, uh, was chatting with a bunch of people about all of this and the idea of um of fasting uh sort of came up as a as just a concept with one of the friends i was chatting with and i was like what i learned from this experience is that we can go without a lot longer if the point of having so of having done so is to service a greater, higher, more spiritual need and good. Um, and, what, what, and, what a powerful analogy! You know, it was it just sort of evolved out of a, of a chat I was having. But, but um, yeah, we, you know, the, the the strength of the of the character of of who we all are is reinforced by the habits and the patterns and the things that we do when um, when a no one is watching, and b um, when we have. Uh, a foundational sense of purpose and so that i think is for me the the analog between um faith uh and a living a, a jewish life um and frankly any spiritually based life and the pursuit of what is right and what feels like it has integrity i gotta say i can't always be articulate about why i know something's right i just know when i feel it and, you know, I try to hope that my moral compass is pointing in the right direction and go that way. Um, and uh, and that is my sermon for the day. You said Amen. it better. You said it better than, than uh, either of the rabbis could. So 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 appreciate that. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. And thank you, Erica, uh, for joining us, sharing your experiences. Uh, and so uh, our listeners um, could um, better understand um you know, what has really consumed pop culture over these many, many months, the WGA and the SAG strikes. Um, uh, we'll be talking more, as as we said, as the WGA uh, looks to uh, settle the, on a contract. And as SAG continues to strike, uh, we'll certainly continue to uh, have this conversation on our Pop Tour podcast. But thank you again to both of you uh, for joining the conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. And let us know, listeners, what what you think. Um, Share your tour with us about uh, this moment that Hollywood is at a crossroads. Uh, And until next time, I'm Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care, everyone.